BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This Ben Jarofsky show, Benny J bonus interview is brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8 the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. Bonus time in the Ben Jarofsky Show, Wednesday, January 15, 2020. But of course, it's a podcast, so you're listening at any time. <laughs> uh, this news could be really old news if you're listening to this and you're like the year 2030. Uh, as we do with all bonus shows in the Ben Jarofsky Show, I ask my distinguished guest to introduce him or herself. So distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Hey, I'm David Ferris. I'm an associate professor of political science at Roosevelt University. And I wrote a book that I think you read, Ben, called It's Time to Fight Dirty, How Democrats Can Build a Lasting Majority in American Politics. So That's correct. Yeah, thank you, Robert Mueller. Uh, <laughs> David Ferris wrote that book. I read it, I think it was two years ago, I want to say, and yeah. I've been having him on my shows ever since, talking politics. I have, uh, I steal, just so, so, you know, so you know this, Dave, I steal from you all the time. I, although technically it's not stealing because I generally give you attribution, so that's not the, that's attribution, but I'm always like, well, Ferris says this, I get these Dems in here, and Ferris says this, and then to see what their reaction is, uh, David uh, has a couple theorems uh the, the big one is that dems should fight like republicans and then he points out in his book how republicans fight and then of course he contrasts with the utter wimpiness of democrats who are afraid of their shadow i have a number of things i want to uh, run down uh david uh, on my list here yeah. i definitely want to talk about iran uh and the insanity of our i don't know if it's a war a war words where we're at with that uh, how it gets played out politically as well. I want to talk about last night. Last night there was a, a debate. The Democrats had a debate, if you call it that, uh, in Iowa. Last debate before voting, you know. Uh, la right, before the first um, caucus, or the first uh, in the, the uh, Democratic primaries. And, uh, and then I want to talk to you about impeachment. So why don't we start um, with, oh gosh, uh, let's start with last night's debate. Yeah, Why not? Let's do it. Uh, before we went on the air, you said uh, it may have been the worst uh, debate ever. You were talking in terms about the way CNN's moderators handle it. Um, I might want to take issue with you because the there were some pretty bad uh, debates. But explain why you, you think it was the worst debate ever. Um, so, I mean, over the course of this primary, I've become very frustrated with the moderation of these debates. You know, so this is not the first time, um, and it won't be the last. Uh, but I thought that last night in particular, um, the the moderators seemed to to just want to frame every question they asked Democrats in sort of the most right-wing way that they possibly could. You know, so it was, how are you going to pay for this? Convince us that you're not going to bankrupt us. How are you going to keep us safe? You know, will you prevent Iran from getting a nuclear weapon? Right, like all of these things are um, sort of like right or center right ways of looking at the political universe. Um, and so it's frustrating to me 
that Democrats as a party keep sort of voluntarily handing over their signature talent showcases um, to these sort of commercial entities who don't care about Democrats and they don't care about progressivism and they don't care about the future of the country. They care about ratings. You know, they want the candidates to fight um, and they want to produce moments where the candidates are like squirming and they're like, I don't know how I'm going to pay for it. Ugh. You know, or like, I, I feel like, um, I, of course, I'll prevent Iran from getting a nuclear weapon. Like they're all God and they can do that. You know, um, the, the, the like the central premises of, of, of a lot of these questions are absurd. Like, will you Amy Klobuchar, like will Amy Klobuchar, like personally go to Tehran and like defuse the first nuclear weapon? Like, give me a break. Right. Like it's such it, these are such absurd questions. I'm so glad that we don't have a, a record of debates in the 1990s where all of the candidates and all of the primaries were asked, like, Will you prevent North Korea from getting a, a nuclear? Will you personally prevent North Korea from getting a nuclear a nuclear weapon? Like, will you go undercover? Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Like, I it's absurd by, yeah. because they did eventually get a nuclear weapon, and we didn't stop them because we didn't want to go to war, you know. And so there's 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 all this like subtext to these questions, um, where you have built-in assumptions that I think are quite conservative, you know, um, where the the progressive candidates are are constantly being asked to justify their policy positions. Um, and then when you when the when the questioning turns to the moderate candidates, you know some of whom I like perfectly fine. I would I would I work very hard for them that they are the nominee, but they never get pressed on it. You know it's never like hey Pete, how are you going to pay for your plan for healthcare? You know how are you going to pay for your childcare plan? He's just like it's more moderate. I'll see you guys later. You know and the moderate <laughs> and the moderators are like oh that sounds really yeah wow you know yeah. really sophisticated yeah. good good job. Well, let's go back to the foreign policy one, because there is an underlying assumption. And the underlying assumption is that the United States is uh, all powerful and uh, has the authority to determine whether Iran has the bomb. Uh, And there is an assumption uh, embedded in that question that somehow or other, uh, Donald John Trump is more convincing in using that authority uh, than the Democrats, which I would argue, David, is utter fiction. Donald John Trump has no more authority in stopping Iran from building a bomb than Amy Klobuchar or Bernie Sanders or uh, or anybody else on that. Or me or, or you. <laughs> he can't do it. <laughs> he can't do it. Yeah, or me or you. You know Uh, what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly Uh, what you mean. It's very, but but here's where the Democrats, our hands are tied, and they play by, and this gets back to a David Ferris theory. They play by a set of rules that uh, are written by Republicans. So the set of rules says you have to be tough to our quote-unquote adversaries, although it's not quite clear at any given time who an adversary is, they're forever changing. And Republicans write those rules, but don't feel compelled to play by them. Uh, Donald John, for years we were told, uh, Russia's our adversary. Donald John Trump makes nice to Russia. That's out the window. So it's okay to be nice to Russia now? Yeah. So, yeah. Now 50% of Republican voters now say that Russia is an ally, not an adversary. Wow. Okay, so there you go. So <laughs> it, what if one of the... One of the uh, Democratic candidates, when challenged about, when asked about, can you keep uh, Tehran or Iran from uh, having a uh, a bomb, said, "I don't agree with the premise. Of course, we can't. We no. can't. Well, what would no, what we would cannot. that be? Yeah. Would, would that it's be like? What, be? what is the price that you're willing to pay to prevent it? Right? Like, 
we could, I mean, yeah, in theory, we could prevent Iran from getting a nuclear weapon if, if it was the most important thing in the world to us. If we wanted to launch a war against a country of 82 million people, you know, that's larger than Iraq, um, you know, that would that would keep our kids and our grandkids timed out there for, for 30, 40 years. Sure, we could do that, right? Um, but I, I, but it's a, but it's an absurd contention. And I really, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but Bernie didn't get this question, right? Like it, it skipped over him. Yeah, somehow yeah. or other missed Bernie. Um, and I, I, so it's disappointing to me that no one had the opportunity. I don't know if Bernie would have done it or wouldn't have done it, but, it, but nobody had the opportunity to go out there and be like, you know, do we, you know, why is it that important to us whether Iran has or doesn't have a nuclear weapon, you know? Uh, like, what's the baseline assumption here is that America gets to dictate to other countries the kinds of, like, military uh, uh, weapons that they have or they don't have, you know? Um, there's no there's no legal basis in the international community for telling uh, the Iranians that they can't do X, Y, and Z, right? Um, and and I think the, the bigger issue here is that our obsession with Iranian nuclear weapons has brought us to the, to the brink of a conflict that we don't need to have, you know? Um, so President Trump thinks that he's diffused a situation, um, even though he start, you know, he like he escalated it. He destroyed the Iranian nuclear accord that we had with Iran, um, and so no one on stage was willing to question the premise of the uh, of the moderator's uh, view of this, which is like Iran is a huge threat to America. Um, you know, like Buttigieg said it. I think Warren said it. It was like, of course, this is a huge threat to the American people if if Iran gets a nuclear weapon, and it's like. Well, why, you know, why is that exactly? I mean, just say it out loud, right? Like Pakistan has a nuclear weapon. We don't have like great relations with Pakistan. Russia has nuclear weapons. Like we don't have great relations with Russia. We're not all cowering in fear doing the like, you know, get under the desk drills that, that my parents did when they were in grade school. Like, why couldn't we live with an Iranian nuclear weapon? And if you think it's such a threat, why did you destroy the deal um, that was, you know, at least putting it over the time horizon into like the 2030s where it could happen, you know? Um, and so that is where it comes back to the moderation of the debate, where the question was framed in a way. Do you remember? It was like they were like, "What? You know, how would you do as commander in chief?" Yes, yeah. do it that um, way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when you're in charge of murdering people, like how many people will you murder? You know, uh, it just, I, I just couldn't believe it. Like it was just, it was shocking to me um, the number of unexamined assumptions that were left on the table there, particularly because democratic voters, uh, maybe we'll get back to this under the age of 35, like are really opposed to all of this stuff and, and, and pretty, and pretty decisive numbers, you know? Um, and so the fact that none of the candidates were willing to challenge the, the, the assumptions of this policy and, or the, or the moderators questions, I, I just was, I, you know, well, it really because we'll get to back to that, because uh, it's the topic of a book you just wrote, uh, the political attitudes of voters under the age of 35. But we'll get back to that. But the underlying uh, premise of the last night's debate for certain and the other debates, too, as the way it's framed is that Democrats are being put on the defensive mm -hmm. as though be, they're being called to justify the values of the Democratic Party in a way that won't infuriate a swing voter, an imaginary swing voter yeah. in Michigan. We don't even know who the, but this, this person's vision of a swing voter. So the worldview of the, the moderators who asked the question, David, is that Donald Trump has his voters. 
Democrats have their voters. The election will be determined, decided in three states by swing voters. What can you do, Democrats, to assure those swing voters that you understand them? Forget everybody else. And yeah. that's the underlying assumption. We don't matter. Yeah, we don't matter. Um, and I also think it's just, um, you know, allowing the moderators to frame the whole election in those terms is really destructive to the party. You know, because if, if you were just tuning into the debate last night, the way it went was like, you know, candidate A, explain why you're not crazy. Candidate B, explain why you're not crazy. Candidate C, you're obviously not crazy. You know, tell, tell us why. Um, <laughs> you know, and yeah. so the and, the and the candidates who are presumed not crazy by the moderators of these debates yeah. are like Biden and Klobuchar. Yeah. Um, and Biden, you know, just kind of can't get it get out of his own way rhetorically. It really concerns me. Um, I feel like if anybody, if if anybody was up on the stage with that demeanor and that command of the language and that command of the issues, yeah. who was not Joe Biden, who was not the former VP to a, a popular former president, he would be like laughed off the yeah. stage. You know, people would be like, "This guy does not have it together." You know, like he speaks in sentences, and at the end of the sentence, he drops like a random word. Yeah. You know, they'd be yeah. like, "So I, I think that you know we, we shouldn't have gotten ourselves into this fix, Trump." You know, and uh, <laughs> stuff like that, where it's like I, I understand he maybe he's struggling with a. Uh, with a speech problem, which is I have great sympathy for people with disabilities. I'm sure I have great, great sympathy for, but it's not encouraging. It's not encouraging to me that like Joe Biden's childhood malady is coming back to haunt Actually, him I, on, an, on a national stage. It's not great. I just want to say this about that. Somebody else said this uh, in today's show earlier. Monroe, I think, said, "I've watched Joe Biden for many years. Yeah, he was I've, not like this. he was not like this. No. Joe Biden did. Uh, I." I the reason why he's in my five, I have a top five, and he's on there. I remember him mopping the floor with uh, the baby, the Paul Ryan. Oh, yeah. That was, that was uh, I remember how he stood up to Sarah Palin. I, on the other side, conversely, I remember him flawlessly leading the uh, Judicial Committee hearings regarding Clarence Thomas. And I, there, this is a different man. This is not, you cannot blame this on a, a childhood uh, affliction with stuttering. No. This is a man I've seen him at the top of his game, okay, David? And this is he's not at the top of no, his game. No, he's at the bottom of his game yeah. and it's very concerning to me. Um I mean the only thing that I can say in his defense is that like presidents don't spend their time debating. You know, it's it's a it's a little bit crazy actually that we spend this much time talking about debates. Um because ultimately, once you become president, you don't debate anymore. Well here's like, that's here's, the end. Okay, here's you know? why two, two things. One, uh I've covered Chicago politics long enough to know, to come to the realization that voters do not hold it against uh, a leader if that leader is inarticulate. Yeah. I've seen Chicagoans elect inarticulate mayors time after time after time. I remember Dan Quayle in the 1992 debate. I thought the guy was yeah. a bumbling idiot and it didn't seem to bother voters. They voted for George Bush and Dan Quayle. So inarticulateness has never really been a, a deterrent. Uh, where these debates is important, in my humble opinion, get your thoughts on this, is it sets the tone for the party. So what issues are the party going to champion? What declarations uh, will the party make uh, to the people, the voters out there uh, that would encourage them to, to vote? I would say the reason why uh, Donald Trump benefited from the Republican debates that took place in 2016 is that he did not care what the moderators asked. Mm -hmm. He gave his answers and that presented, that was the first step toward presenting him as a unique candidate, different than any other candidate before him. And I wish the Democrats would show a little bit of I hate to say it, that Trump-like attitude of indifference. I mean, he was his authentic self. 
in those debates, right? If we could agree that he was Donald Trump, you know, he didn't care about, you know, sort of party conventions or like norms about what you can say and you can't say. Mm -hmm. um, what I would say about these debates is um, that the, the Democratic Party is a political organization, right? It, it sets its own rules, it sets its own procedures, right? And it, and it has a lot of decisions to make about how it presents these debates to the world, you know? Um, and what they've done right now is they've they've sort of subcontracted their their most important sort of forward facing events um, to a series of organizations that that don't care about them. You know, I mean, the the journalists all may be you know center left, right? Like I don't doubt that that all the moderators from last night, you know, Blitzer and what was her name? Uh, I, don't I don't remember know. the names. Stuff I didn't install. know the names. I, I don't so, know. Yeah. She really annoyed me. Uh, I, I don't doubt that they're all like center left. They'll all vote for the Democratic nominee. I don't know if that's true, actually, but whatever. Let's yeah. work from it's that. It's like ninety percent of them. You know? Okay. Um, but there's 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 no law that says that Democrats have to say to MSNBC and CNN um, that that you get to ask whatever questions you want. And it comes back to your point about the issues that come up in these debates and the way that they are presented to the public. You know, um, and it's like what did. The, the question on the DNC's mind when they they were thinking about how do we present our candidates to the public and how do we help the public sort of navigate between the different people that are running for president should be like, what do we want our voters to be thinking about when they make this choice, right? Um, and instead, what they get is like, what do the media elite, what, what do media elites want them to be thinking about, mm. you know? Um, and media elites seem to relentlessly want people to think about um, how horrible it would be if we spent money to help ordinary people. Yeah. You know? Um, and it's just like every question in the debates is like shot through with this contempt for the idea that we should spend national resources um, to help, you know, to help people that are struggling or to help uh, middle class Americans or working class Americans or poor people, you know? Um, no, one, no one thinks like maybe the $800 billion we spend a year on, on defense could be reallocated, you know, by 25 or 30% to do other things um, with our time and our money. Um, and so the the whole primary from beginning to end, uh, because most people are, are paying attention to and, and making decisions about this primary based on these debates, um, more so in the past than, than now, but like particularly in the beginning, um, people do make decisions about who to support based on on these debates. It's, it's pretty it's incredible. And it's an incredible, awesome responsibility for the people conducting those debates. Um, well, and I don't think they've taken it seriously. Well, enough. again, the, the, when you say that people make their decisions, uh, who, who they're going to vote for based on these debates, I've not been paying attention to the ratings. I didn't see the ratings last night. Did you see it? By any chance, see the ratings? I haven't seen anything about ratings. Okay. I assume they're a little bit better than, than December because that happened on the same day as, as some impeachment stuff. Okay. Yes. They, they finally had the kind of the stage to themselves yeah, last night. Right. You know? And they only had six people on the stage. Yeah. What a curious assortment of six they had. What Tom Steyer is doing. And that's, that's a whole other story. Tom but, Steyer. Oh uh, Tom God. Steyer's presence on the stage is baffling uh, yeah. in so many ways. How the rules ended up allowing him to be on the stage. But again, I'll put it to you this way. I'll rephrase it. The media, what you call the media elites, are very concerned. And this is where the Republicans, this is a David Ferris idea that I'm repackaging. The, the, the Republicans have been very astute 
at uh, doing in politics what uh, coaches in the NBA do every day in a basketball game. They play the referees. They whine about every single call that goes against them in the hopes that the next call goes for them. So Republicans have very successfully um, put media outlets on the defensive that somehow or other they are pro-Democrat. And you and you actually, uh, David Ferris, played into that by saying your guess is that those three people are going to vote are centrists, they're going to vote Democrat. I don't know what Wolf Blitzer votes, so I wouldn't put, I wouldn't take that bet. Uh, no, no, sir. Sure. Um, but the point is, is that there's this underlying assumption that the, the, the media elites are in favor of the Democrats, so then they, the media elites, bend over backwards to show they're quote-unquote open-minded, and so what really concerns them are things like, how are you going to pay for that health care thing, you know? Right, like uh, this many trillion dollars, <laughs> you know? Trillions of dollars. Trillions of dollars. Trillions. Yeah, with a T. As if we don't spend trillions of dollars every single year, right? Like, it's not that big of a deal. On something, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's what they're they're doing. And what bothers me about the Democrats is they never fight back. They never say, I disagree with the premise of... I think Bernie may have said that once in one yeah. debate. No, he's done it a few times Two where times? he's like, your question is wrong. Last night, I, I really liked it when he, uh, he was getting grilled about trade, right? Yeah. Um, and he was, they were like, why won't you vote for the, the USMC, whatever it's called, NAFTA part two. Yeah, you know? NAFTA part two, yeah. Um, and, and he was like, I want to talk about the climate. And she was like, no, Senator, I want to stay on trade. And he was like, it's all the same issue. You know yeah. what I mean? It's all the same. It's all one issue. Yes, right? it is. Um, which I, which I really liked. And, um, so he, I, I think more than anyone else, he has actually more than anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. But most people take the questions at face value because they're afraid of getting into a confrontation with the moderators because that generally has not gone that well. If you remember uh, Mitt Romney getting into it with Candy Crowley in 2012 about Benghazi and Libya and yeah. stuff, you know, and she was like, actually, Governor, you know, <laughs> this is what happened. And yeah. Romney was like, have it, have it. Let me consult my dog on the roof. Uh, <laughs> so they don't want to do it. You know, yeah. like they, they don't want to get into it with one of these uh, with one of these journalists um, because they think it won't go well. They won't go well for them, um, which I understand, which right? is probably true, which is probably true. But um, I've Although Donald for, Trump does not seem to be bothered by that. No, he doesn't. No. But I mean, at the same time, Donald Trump's approval rating is like probably 15 percent below where it should be based on the economy. You know, so there is a price he is paid. There is a price. Everyone is like, what a genius he is. You know, like he's he got elected. Uh, he can't you know, he, he's incapable of punting away the support of the 42 percent of the people that support him. <laughs> right. And I'm like, let's look at this another way. Yeah. Right. Which is like. I don't know. Things are pretty good. You know, I mean, it's not, they're not perfect. Uh, we have the same challenges we had four years ago in terms of housing costs and healthcare costs. But I think like, you know, most people would say the economy is, is better than it was four years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, I, don't, I don't credit this guy for it, but 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 he's there in yeah. the office taking credit for it. Um, and he, he's incapable of capitalizing on that by building a broader coalition than he has. You know, so it's like we don't want to be like Trump in the sense that we want to like deliberately alienate. Um, that's a valid point. Anyone that's not in our corner. Yeah. Right. Although Donald Trump seems indifferent. I'll put it this way. I, 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 I don't want to lose his point because this is something I've been thinking about. I don't I think I've ever uh, put it together. Donald Trump seems largely indifferent to the economy. If you think about all the subjects that goad him into responding or making a statement, 
it's like the economy is an afterthought. He'll like tweet greatest economy ever, and then there'll be like fifty tweets about Nancy Pelosi or Rosie O'Donnell or Rosie whoever he is. Yeah, he really doesn't care about the economy. Greatest stock market ever, and then no, I hate Rosie O'Donnell. You know, he's rich, and everyone he knows is rich. It doesn't matter to him, right? Like it could be the economy could be crashing, or it could be doing really really well. It doesn't matter to him if it's crashing. He'll like contact some like some gangsters uh, in Moldova and be like, "Can you can you save my my casino?" If it's doing well, he's like, "That's great, I'm doing well too." But fundamentally, he's not going to end up on the street, right? He's yeah. never really cared about any of this stuff. Um, uh, so you're right. I guess he's not a role model, but I I will say that, uh, like I said, he he uh, confronted. He took control of the debates yes. in a way that no yeah. Democrat does. He made that his his own personal plaything. I, I want you to imagine a different kind of debate universe than the, than the one that we have. And I've, I've made this point a number of times in the last year. Um, so instead of sort of subcontracting your questions, your ideas, your presentation to CNN, you know, and I, there's a lot of great people that work for CNN. You know, I don't want to impugn them. Uh, I have some friends there, um, but instead of doing that. The DNC says, we're going to run our own debates. Okay. We're going to have a bunch of, uh, you know, like experts on these issues, you know, like a, like a climate change expert, Bill McKibben. We're going to have Bill McKibben run a climate change debate. Um, and we're going to invite CNN and MSNBC and Fox to come if they want, but we'll stream it on our own channel, uh, thedemocrats.com. You know what I mean? Like you, you take the power of these media elites out of the questioning in your debates and you set the terms yourself, right? And, the, and whoever you choose to moderate that debate, you say to them like, look, you know, we want you to get at the differences between our candidates, but your goal is not to make them look bad. You know, your goal is not to make the Democratic Party look crazy and put it on defensive so that everyone is thinking when they leave the, you know, when they, they turn the debate off, they're not thinking like, oh man, I don't know. I don't know if that we should, maybe Joe Biden is the, you know, <laughs> Joe Biden. I feel like Joe Biden has been positioned as the person who will functionally do nothing, uh, right? Where it's like, everything's kind of fine. We just want to get rid of this dude, right? Like the orange haired guy, want to get rid of him and, and replace him with this guy that can't speak in complete sentences. <laughs> like, would that be okay with you? Right? Like, that's where we're headed. Yeah. Because right? everyone, they're like, well, you know, we, like Bernie and Lizzie's ideas are too, are too radical. Um, none of the others can, can really get any traction. Mayor Pete, I think, is on his way out. Um, maybe that's wishful thinking. Why do you if, say that? He's dropped a little bit in the polls over the last couple of weeks yeah. in, in the early states. Um, and I, I, to me, he feels like a Herman Caney kind of like flavor of the month that, that on caucus day in Iowa, I mean, you know the dynamics of these caucuses, right? People like arguing. Right. And if you don't get 50%, them, yeah. you got to release all your supporters to the other candidates. Yes. Um, I, I feel like, I feel like Mayor Pete is not going to do well in that in that situation, you know, where it's like when you really have to justify why you want him over the other ones. Um, my suspicion that it is that he's going to do worse in Iowa than than he thinks he is, or and then his supporters think he is, uh, and that's going to translate into sort of negative momentum in the other states. Yeah. You know? I, by the way, uh, this is a tangent within a tangent. Uh, I, I've not. I, I'll just be open about this. I've n not understood the appeal of Mayor Pete from the get-go yeah. on any level. And um, 
I've said this on the air. Uh, we've had guests on the show from South Bend who are very critical of him. But I'm also just like his attitude about, um, and he's, he's sticking to it. It's going down with this ship. Uh, his attitude about uh, not allowing wealthy people to be the beneficiaries of uh, a aid to college. Somehow mm-hmm. or other, uh, he thinks he's making... <laughs> striking a point of fairness when he's completely ignoring the reality of the world, David, which is, is that if not everybody doesn't get a benefit, that benefit will be the first thing that gets whacked during hard times. But if rich people get a benefit, like Social Security, they're sticking to it. Okay, yeah, they're that's, fine with it. They're fine. That's the reality yeah. of the world. You want to have help people in college, you got to help all people. Uh, so anyway, he thinks this is... Well, cr- the reality is rich people aren't going to go to those schools anyway, right? The rich people are going to keep going to Harvard and Stanford and Yale, right? And, yeah, and so pub- of- some rich people will go to a public school. Yeah, like a few. A few, a relative. But, so the point is, he's make, I don't know what he thinks, how he's going to win a Democratic nomination with his, you, you get what I'm saying? It's such a narrow appeal. It's like an appeal to Republicans. But then last night, I, I started reading about, uh, I, I can't believe I spent so much time reading about his father. <laughs> Uh, Pete uh, Buttigieg's father was a professor at Notre Dame, an English mm-hmm. professor, uh, and uh, his specialty was a communist thinker from Italy. Uh, and I'm reading. Was that Gramsci? Yeah, Gramsci. Yeah, yeah. And I'm reading about Gramsci. And I start. I was like an hour reading about Gramsci. I'm like, this is fascinating to me that this moderate, who's re- completely repackaging, is trying to put a new position, make the Democrats. I don't know. Democratic. He's a red diaper baby. He's a red diaper. Yes. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> Paging Dr. Freud. Uh, and uh, anyway, but so uh, suddenly for at the very end, I'm interested in Pete Buttigieg. Uh, but I just don't not. I'm baffled at why anybody would think that would be the way to go to win a the Democratic nomination and b an election. Yeah, I mean, I, I found him when he first got in the race. Um, and he was talking about like court packing and stuff. I was like, okay, I'm listening. Go on, you know, please proceed, Governor. <laughs> um, and then the more he kind of he kind of <laughs> cut to the right on a variety of issues. Yeah. I, you know, he's not appealing. And I say, more that I listen to him, um, he of, of all the candidates on stage remaining, I feel like he has the most sort of like staged debate yeah. persona um, with like the fake emotion, you know, where he's like. Let us not think about the, you know, just, it's just like, I don't think that he really feels these things. I just think he wants to be president, which doesn't distinguish him from these other people. They all want to be president. Yeah. They're all ambitious. Yes. They all want to be president since they were like 35. Yeah. Right. Like, it's not like he's uniquely uh, evil in that regard. Um, I just, he, he doesn't, he doesn't appeal to me personally. Um, and I also think that he, um, he doesn't make very convincing cases for the for the policies that he's recommending. You know, it's it almost always comes back to like, you know, we don't have to do A or B. We could do C. Yeah, you know? I know. Yeah. Um, but he doesn't really specify like what C is or yeah. how it would work or, 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 or give me any evidence that he's thought about it. No, he. All right, I don't want to spend any, any more time talking about. It, but I, I have. I'm like you. I've seen so many of these debates. I now uh, can recognize his debate style. And he, I can see it. I know what he does. He, he's the master of the pivot. Mm-hmm. So he'll start off with a, a sort of a more or less direct answer to the question asked. And then almost as though his mind just went on a tangent. He'll go, but you know, and then he'll pivot. And so he'll leave the world of the question behind and go to Pete world, wherever yeah. he thinks uh, that'll help him. And 
Um, I, I, again, like I said, uh, I've said this many times. I'm ashamed of my fellow baby boomers. As I understand it, his campaign is propped up by baby boomers. And yeah. baby boomers, I hate to say it, uh, you've been suckered in by a, guy, a nice guy who carries your groceries to the car. Oh, what a nice <laughs> young man. He carried my groceries. That's baby. That's Mayor Pete. Oh, yeah, like, are you married? Are you married? <laughs> you, some granddaughters. Yeah. Love to, you know. uh, yeah. No, it'd be like, oh, my God, you guys sisters? He says it to the mom, to the daughter. You guys got to be sisters. Yeah, yeah. yeah anyway. All right, That's on. the vibe. Very strong vibe I've always gotten from him. Yeah, he's Eddie Haskell, which is a reference to an old sitcom. All right, oh, anyway. Um, so... You, you you laid out what you th- an ideal um, debate format that you would like to see the de- Democrats embrace. Let me talk about this. Who's on the stage? Last night, six candidates, all white, two women, four men. Um, there was one billionaire on the stage. Somebody wisecracked that there was more uh, billionaires on the stage uh, than there were black people, uh, even <laughs> though the Democratic Party base is the black population of this country. That's important. Um, Very important. You wouldn't know it from last night's debate. And so when you look back uh, from the start to where we are now, what's your opinion as to how it is that we had the six people that we have? Like, these are the six people. And with Bloomberg knocking on the door, another billionaire. Bloomberg, um, yeah. the, the demon lock, lurking in the room. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, I think that I think the DNC is in it. It's in a, in some ways a difficult position, right? Like we're in this like post Citizens United universe where you can spend a trillion dollars of your own money um, and you can do whatever you want, you know. Um, and the party has to be seen as being fair, you know. Like that's the the most important thing I think for the DNC for this cycle given what happened in 2016, was that when people are talking about the debate rules and who ended up on stage at the end of the day, and they're like, I'm not, I don't, I wish the Booker was up there instead of Steyer. I wish that Harris was up there instead of uh, Buttigieg. Um, but the, when they're sitting at the bar, they're like, but you know, like those were the rules, right? Like everybody knew the, knew the rules in advance. And, you know, Klobuchar got the polls and she got the money and Booker didn't. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's fair. Um, so when I look at the debate stage, um, it's not the six people that I would like to be up there, you know. It's like three people that I would like to be up there, and three people that I would like to to, to like fire into the center of the sun and never see again, you know. Um, I I miss Cory Booker. I liked him, you know. Um, I, he he had a sort of a checkered past in terms of his support for um, some some uh, school choice charter stuff. schools. In charter schools, yeah. Um, I know a couple of people that would never consider him for for those reasons, but I, I think in terms of his his voting record in Congress and then his persona on the debate stage. I, I found him to be a very appealing character. I would have voted for him. Um, you know, if he, you know, I would have considered voting for him. Mm-hmm. Right. And I wanted to hear more from him, particularly because it's not a very diverse field. Right. And I feel like Cory Booker has some experiences and some appeal to certain um, constituencies in the party. That's very important. And he's not there. Right. But the, but the party made this decision. That's like, we're, we're going to set these, these ground rules. I don't care whether you're, you know, you're black, Latina woman that you either you either make this cut or you don't, you know. Um, and to me, the, the most problematic person on stage right now is Steyer, you know, um, and Steyer is a creature of of the Citizens United world where he's just he's lighting his money on fire to get to nine percent in the polls in South Carolina or whatever it is. Um, he's not viable. He's not going to win. Um, but he makes the cut over and over and over again, you know. Um, and 
as opposed to the old days where if you if you got two percent in iowa you went away <laughs> yeah uh steyer can stay in it as long as he wants i like bloomberg can stay in it as, as long as he wants i don't understand what bloomberg is doing because like you, if you want to win you need to be at these debates right like people need to be seeing you it's not enough to run ads in every market um but i don't see a way honestly i, I don't see a way for the party um to devise some kind of workaround that prevents rich people from getting into the debates while at the same time maintaining the idea that the same rules apply to everyone yeah you know um and so so in that sense that's I think, a valid point in yeah, other yeah. words the same rules don't apply to everybody uh if if a rich person has access to a personal fortune that he or she can use to spend uh uh, to, but there are rules I've forgotten. I used to know this, uh, David, a little embarrassed to say. It's like cramming for a test. I forgot the uh, the requirements that you have to, because there's a fundraising requirement mm -hmm. and there is a uh, poll requirement. I, right. I've momentarily forgotten. I'm blanking out. I humbly apologize. So no, they've set they've set different rules for each debate. Yeah. Um, I think the current I think the current requirement is four percent. In, in a in a number of national polls or four percent in some early state polls and but there's a fundraising have, uh, as well yeah you have to have you have to have you know x number of individual donors um, and so tom steyer has and, and spread across a number of states and right? so even though he's largely bankrolling his campaign by himself he's able he's able to get meet that threshold right because i think one of the things people are not thinking about is that what rich people do is they use their money to meet those thresholds right like so what Cory Booker was doing towards the end of the debates was like, uh, you know, please give me money so that I meet these requirements. Yes. Please, you know, please tell a pollster that you support me so that I meet these requirements. Whereas Steyer and Bloomberg, if Bloomberg wanted to, he could do this. They could just conjure this out of thin air, right? Like a billionaire, it's very easy for a billionaire to raise money. Right? A billionaire just takes out a bunch of ads on Facebook and is like, can you give me a buck? You know, and then you know enough people give him a buck that he, he's he's viable and he moves forward whereas the people that are not well funded have to spend all of their campaign cash trying to raise money to meet the threshold to get into the debate so that they still seem viable mm. all of this is not the dnc's fault right this is the fault of our crazy campaign finance system uh, and this goes back almost 20 years to when primary candidates started saying you know we're not going to take the federal matching funds we're not going to observe these limits um, and it became this like wild west, you know, and so the consequence of that is, you know, we have Tom Steyer up there instead of Kamala Harris or Cory Booker, who, <clears throat> you know, I'm, I'm not like an uncritical supporter of either of those candidates, but I thought they had more interesting things to say, more interesting stories and more appeal to our coalition than this old, you know, like gray faced billionaire <laughs> who doesn't have anything original to say. He's just like, I like what Elizabeth said is really, really nice. And what Bernie said was re re really good. Uh, here's, and I could say this as somebody who's watched every debate, has had uh, discussions about every debate, read about every debate. I've brought in uh, some of the smartest people in Chicago to discuss every debate. And let's get to Kamala Harris. And you already mentioned Cory Booker. They're not there because they could not win over Democratic voters. And that is the bottom line. That's the bottom line. Yeah. Kamala Harris, she had that moment at that first debate. And I used to joke on the show, I'm drinking the Kamala Kool-Aid. I'm feeling Kamala. Yeah. And then she allowed Tulsi Gabbard to knock her out with the, in the next debate uh, with Tulsi's question about her support of laws uh, which threw black people in the jail for reefer. Mm-hmm. Uh, ultimate 
double standard in criminal justice that's inexcusable in our day and age, but was more or less acceptable 20 years ago. Sure. Uh, and she had no defense of that, David. She had no way of countering it. I, she hasn't been the same since that, in my, in my estimation. You know, I, you know, I'll just I disagree with you slightly about what Go I ahead. thought the, the, the turning point for her campaign was she had that moment with Biden in the first debate mm-hmm. um, where she was like, you know, I was a little girl and, I, you know, your policies hurt me and my family. Uh, and I was like, whoo, Shazam. And Biden did not react well, right? Everybody was already thinking, like, Biden doesn't really have it together. And he <laughs> yeah. can't respond to this, like, very simple. Yeah. He can't be magnanimous in this, like, very simple way where he was like, he could have been like, oh, I, you know, you know, I've, th- I've rethought things. And, I've, you know, of course, I wouldn't want to do anything to your family that would, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I may still not agree with these particular busing policies. Like, why was busing? Be- whatever. Yeah. Um, but it was, she walked it back. You know, that's true. Um, like the next day, she was like, somebody was like, do you support um, mandatory busing? She was like, no. Yeah. <laughs> and, she walked, and so she got yeah, tagged you're as right. more so than than the sort of like you're a cop thing. I feel like she got tagged as inauthentic. Yes, um, you're right. Because she also walked back. Uh, now that I think about it, this is probably more uh, brutal to her reputation than uh, Tulsi Gabbard. You're right. Uh, remember, she walked back the whether she supported health care for uh, immigrants, illegal immigrants. Yeah. Remember, remember, they were asked, raise your hand if you support. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, yeah. yeah. And I thought there were key there were key yeah. moments where she didn't seem to know what she thought. Right. Which is, to be honest with you, a totally like normal human thing. Yeah. Um, to be like, I don't know what I think about this. issue. Like, I feel like if you're, uh, you know, a competent adult, um, and you, you want to be taken seriously. You, you should rethink your assumptions every once in a while. But she seemed like she was rethinking her assumptions about like critical issues like sort of on the fly, yeah. which I don't think was appealing to anyone in, in the Democratic coalition. You know? So it's like if she had taken clear positions from the get-go, I think she would have done better. Um, the other thing is like, you know, she, she, had, she had raised a bunch of money. She spent a bunch of money. You know, it's not like she was getting blown away by Steyer and Bloomberg, and that's why she went away. Like, she went away before Steyer or Bloomberg really went up on the air and started blitzing people with these ads. I think ultimately, you know, the gatekeepers of the Democratic nomination are African-American voters um, in a lot of different states. I, I mean, we go first with Iowa and New Hampshire, and that's its whole other story, and it's messed up the way we give these, like, super white states this say in the early nomination. But in the, in the national polling period, before Iowa and New Hampshire vote, and I think people pay much more attention to the national numbers than they do to the Iowa and New Hampshire numbers, um, Harris couldn't get any traction, and Booker couldn't get any traction, primarily because African-American voters were sticking with Biden, you know? Um, And that's not, you know, that's not something for me, you know, these two white dudes in this room right now to to psychologize or, or, you know, I I don't know why. Um, It's not for me to decide because it's not my vote, you know? Um, but ultimately, if if African American voters wanted Harris or Booker in this race, still um, they would still be there because they dropped out for for polling reasons, not not for not for fundraising. Fair enough, you're absolutely you know? correct. And uh, I've had this uh, debate uh, repeatedly uh, with various people uh, of all races as to why the black vote is so uh, has been so strong with Joe Biden, and the answer in, in, uh, inevitably comes back to one word, Obama. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, Joe Biden was his wingman, Joe Biden stood by him, uh, Joe Biden was there for eight years, 
And it's just, I think there's a certain pragmatism. Yes. Um, and, and, and the African-American voting community, it's like, maybe it's like millions of people, right? But like, um, I, I think there's a sense of, um, you know, we don't want necessarily radical change that will invite a backlash. Okay. You know? uh, and, and let me re repeat what I said. Uh, and I have never seen in all my years of covering politics in the city of Chicago a candidate punished for being inarticulate. And that crosses all racial and ethnic boundaries. <laughs> I've seen our inarticulate white guys, including many mayors that we've had, and inarticulate black guys, uh, inarticulate Hispanic guys, and they get reelected and, re and yeah. people like them. There's something genuine. Uh, so when Joe Biden stumbles through a sentence, and <laughs> as you said, and <laughs> people are like, yeah, I like him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, normal people can't do this, right? Nor, nor should they be able to. Like, if you put, just you pulled someone out of a, a machine <laughs> shop uh, and you're like, go go speak for 90 minutes about, about healthcare, they'd be like, I don't, you know, <laughs> the way that people speak, I mean, run the transcript of this show, right? Yeah, like, we're, you're right. We're constantly stopping and like saying other things. And so, uh, honestly, the way that Pete Buttigieg speaks is like way more alien to most people's experience of like conversation and how they themselves would speak in front of a crowd than how Joe Biden speaks. Absolutely. You know, um, and so why it's, it's like terrifying to me and, that and Biden is this inarticulate at this stage of the primary. Yeah. I don't think it turns that many people. I've, I, this is what I've concluded. And people don't care. They you know? don't care. Oh my God, David, they don't, they care. don't care. I tell you, I think I had this conversation with you. Who can remember? Uh, over Thanksgiving, uh, this kid and I was, we, we took great delight at listening to the, we, it was late at night. And uh, a few drinks have been consumed, and we were listening. <laughs> this is the, what no life I have. Listening to Joe Biden's responses to various questions during debates, including the, the classic one about the record player. Yeah. Like, oh, man, that play was my it favorite. again, man. Yeah, that was my favorite. <laughs> like playing it over Got to put the record player on at night so the kids learn the language. Yeah, man, but a lot of people are like, yeah, it makes sense to me. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like something on. my father used to say. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. Uh, so that's, that's where we are with the debates uh let's talk briefly before we move on to iran uh handshake gate uh, that of course is the uh fight that's brewing between bernie uh and elizabeth warren over whether he said in a private conversation to 2018 as she asserts that a woman can't in, uh, be elected president or whether he did not say it uh they got so testy last night that she refused to accept his hand in a handshake uh and twitter's been blowing up ever since with supporters of each candidate fighting because Democrats love fighting with each other. Love to fight. They love to fight because it's easier Just, to beat up a Democrat than to beat Donald Trump. So ultimately, Democrats are chicken and they fight each other. All right, your thoughts on Handshake Gate? Um, this is one of those feuds where it just seems like it would be so easy to defuse. Um, and ultimately, I feel like responsibility lies with the two candidates for not doing it, you know? Um, you know, Bernie could have said something like, I don't remember saying that, um, but I, do, I, I, of course, like many Americans, given what happened in 2016, I worry that, a, you know, that a woman would have a harder time against Trump just because of, you know, misogyny and, and all, you know, to say a bunch of buzzwords that appeal to Democrats, you know, <laughs> right? Like institutionalized misogyny, <laughs> you know, mean it or don't mean it. Yeah. But like, he could have just said like, Words that appeal to I don't remember Democrats. saying that, but I might have yeah. said something like, you know, 
uh, like many people, I, I, you know, I, I honestly think that maybe, you know, maybe a guy would do better and maybe mm-hmm. he wouldn't, I don't know, but it's something I worry about, yeah. you know? And Elizabeth Warren could have said something like, you know, I, I remember you saying this, but of course, you know, Bernie, I know, I know that you don't think that a woman can't be elected president. Yeah. Like, I know that you don't think that that's not what your record says. Um, and then she could have shaken his hand after the debate. You know, I, I'm, I'm a Warren one, Bernie two guy, right? I have been from the beginning. But I didn't like that moment at the end of the debate. Like she knew she was on camera, you know. She was. So you think she was uh, trying to humiliate him a little bit? I don't. You know, I don't know if it was intentional or not. Again, I I, I try to always try to emphasize to people when they watch these debates. All these people are people. Wait, time out. Hold on. You can't have it both ways. I'm going to be tough like a debate person. Yeah, do it. All right. Uh, How will you pay for this, David? Yeah. How you pay for this? How are you gonna pay for the health care that we all need? You pay for this. Uh, we, we don't forget the seventh. I think it's seven hundred thirty-eight billion dollar defense fund. But <laughs> how are you gonna pay for that uh, uh, health care? All right, no, you just got finished saying she knew she was on camera. So yeah, it, yeah. It, if she knew she was on camera, then it was intentional. If she knew she's on camera and they're filming her, he puts his hand out and she doesn't take it. She knows they're watching. Either she doesn't know she's on camera or she does know she's on camera. No, 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 that's true. I mean, I think they all know they're on camera, yeah. right? And so I think they have to be careful and cognizant of what that means. Um, but I also think it's, um, I said this during the 2016 debates when, you know, when, when Donald Trump was doing all this crazy stuff to Hillary, you know, and I was like, whatever you think of Hillary, like just, I mean, I get, honestly, Ben, like, I get flustered when people yell at me, like people I love, you know, uh, like when my wife is like, why did you, why did you do this? Like, why did you buy the presents for your family? Like you said you would do it before Christmas, you know? And I'm like, oh God, and I start sweating from my armpits and I turn into a puddle. Can, yeah. can you imagine being up in front of a hundred million no. people? A hundred million people. No, could not uh, in a million years imagine. And somebody's that. like, what do you think about, you know, like you're the commander in chief, David, what are you gonna do about X, <laughs> Y, and Z? And I'm like, Jesus Christ, I have no idea, right? I'll just melt away. Yeah. So the fact that any of these people can do any of this stuff, I think is actually quite impressive. Yes. You know? um, all that being said, mm-hmm. um, I do think that Warren missed an opportunity uh, to kind of bury this, you know? Yeah. Um, she I, should have shake, uh, shaken, should have his, shaken hand. his hand. Yeah. She should have said, like, you know, I, this is how I remember it, but obviously I don't think that you meant it, and it's not a, a big issue. And they, they, they did the obligatory kind of try to paper it over, but neither of them actually went far enough to, to end the feud in terms of their supporters, like particularly on Twitter, which was like a like a like a derailment last night. Like, it was like such a mess. Yeah. You know, like all the Bernie people were tweeting like snakes at, at Elizabeth Warren and I just it was like I mean, Bernie, why do we have to live through this? Hashtag CNN is trash. Hashtag never Warren, you know, yeah. like this kind of stuff. Mostly which I think is not is not driven by actual Bernie supporters. It's like a Russian influence oh, operation, oh, et cetera. Yeah. Um, but I think that the best way to, that they could have resolved that would be to say like, look, you know, it was two years ago, we might have slightly different memories of this. You know, Bernie, you, you think I could win, right? And he mm-hmm. could be like, yeah. So you think I will make a win? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and Elizabeth Warren could have said like, you know, I know that you, you wanted me to run in 2015. Uh, there's, you know, Bernie was like, there's this video of me saying this 30 years ago, right? Like just, they got so close to burying it and yeah. then they didn't bury it. And I feel like that was really destructive no, in ways no. that makes me very frustrated with both of them. I Well, first of all, because in my cynical, I've been covering Chicago politics long, two view of the world, um, two things happened. One, 
Bernie began uh, whispering to people in uh, Iowa that Elizabeth Warren is an elite to try to accentuate her negatives among Democrats to win. And so this is an important counter issue for Elizabeth Warren to accentuate Bernie's negatives, which is that women don't like the Bernie bros and good reason because some, some of them are so freaking obnoxious. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so it, they all pretend as though they're above it all, but really they're playing dirty politics uh, they they went low because they figured this is how you win an election, and now here we are, typical Democrats, uh, uh, fighting each other. Well, I mean, some of this is it's just yeah. it's just built into the equation because I I think I wrote a piece like a, a year ago where I said, look, neither Bernie or or Elizabeth is going to win the nomination with them both in the race. Yeah, like one of them's got to go out of the way. I still think that. Yeah. Um, is that the path to the nomination runs, they run through each other. Yeah. Um, and maybe, you know, maybe you could make an argument that if, if Warren could get Buttigieg out of the race, she might be able to catch up with Biden, but I don't think it's enough. You know, like Biden's got enough of a lead, particularly in the Super Tuesday states, um, that it's, it's just hard for me to see either of them winning the nomination unless the other gets out. Mm. No, one of them will get out, right? I mean, eventually. It's just, it's a question of the timing. You yeah. know, like if they both stay in and they pull collectively 32% of the vote and Biden gets 35% of the vote uh, and they're splitting delegates and he's racking them up, you know, then then where are we? And there's there's no like moral or, or there's no moral case to, to be made to either of them that they should get out. But that's the that's the reality. I, I just don't think that either of them can win with both of them in the race. Yeah, you may be right. But the reality I just had a smile thinking about it. Joe Biden debating Donald Trump. Oh my God! Can you imagine? <laughs> I just imagine I'll mop the floor with you. I mean, that's yeah, a, yeah. The, 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 you know. But they wouldn't either be able to like say the sentences. You know, like did, did you see Trump's uh, 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 press conference after the after the Soleimani thing when you know the, the Iranians <laughs> fired back and he went out? He looked like he sounded like he had been given a tranquilizer. Yeah. You know, he's, he, he, he was like, uh, Iran will never have a nuclear weapon. Good, good morning, everyone. You know, it was like, he didn't even know what sequence his speech should take place in, uh-huh. you know? It sounded like he just went up a flight of steps, like three flights of steps. Yeah. Like, sounded yeah, exhausted. he was out of it, man. And like, I don't know if you've ever heard like two super old people yell at each other for three hours, but yeah. that's, what, that's what Trump and Biden I, would I, be I get like. Real. Last night's debate, the most surreal moment uh, talk about older people uh, dealing with each other occurred. <laughs> Elizabeth Warren said it was her great comeback. She said, I'm the only person on this stage who's defeated an incumbent That's Republican right. in the last 30 years. So there's a little caveat last 30 years. All right. Clearly, that was a prepared remark, but ran through the lawyers and the mathematicians on the uh, Elizabeth Warren campaign because Bernie defeated an incumbent in 1990. Right. But that was 30 years ago, right? I know. 29 years and two months. <laughs> yeah. If you're going to get particular <laughs> about it, right? <laughs> so then Bernie goes, oh, I defeated an incumbent. She goes, I said 30 years. It's like all of a sudden she's a lawyer, you know, 30 years. And he's looking at her like, are you freaking crazy? Yeah. yeah. They're just, and they're both like, I got to check my Hotmail account. (laughs) I have some notes about this in a file, clippings. I have some clippings from the newspaper that I'm going to send my grandkids. Uh, No, they just. Ah, uh, that was like, oh my God, that was a surreal moment. <laughs> Get younger, all of you. Uh, Lord. <laughs> all right, let's move on uh, to a far more serious matter. Uh, Iran, I, 
I don't even know where to begin with this one, uh, David. Uh, I. <sighs> well, I mean, wow. Uh, yeah, it, no, it's it's terrifying. I I have some like weirdly interesting insights into this because I'm married into an Iranian American family. Okay. My wife is Iranian American. Mm -hmm. um, Iran is like the place on the earth that I would like most like to visit before I die. Um, and so the as long as this regime is in place, like I don't get to do that. Um, and it's depressing, and I, I hate these guys. Um, it's a terrible government um, that does terrible things. Uh, and at the same time, I find myself just just completely puzzled by the bipartisan sort of hysteria about Iran that has that has like gripped this country for the last 30 years. I feel like future historians are going to look back um, at the strongest military power in the world, like spending enormous amounts of its political time and capital, you know, um, losing its mind over this very minor regional military power and, 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 and what it's up to. It just doesn't make any sense. It's emotional, you know. Um, and Trump, like a lot of Republicans, approaches this from this like uh, this this uh, this emotional place of of wanting to to beat them, mm -hmm. you know, of like wanting to vanquish the Islamic Republic, uh, you know, revenge for the hostages. Remember, he would like threaten to blow up fifty two. Yes, he did. Uh, Iranian cultural sites. Yeah, it's it's one uh, cultural site for each hostage that was held back in nineteen seventy nine. Yeah, yeah. Ask the hostages whether that's what they want. Yeah. You know? Um, and so it's just, I feel like the whole debate that we have in America about Iran is just so totally divorced from, from like strategic reality and like the needs of the United States. You know, again, all the Democratic candidates who, who spoke on this issue sort of uncritically reflected back to the moderators the idea that an Iranian nuclear weapon would be, a, would be an imminent threat to the American people, right? And it's like, well, who... Which American people? And it's like they're not going to be able to reach us with a missile for another thirty years, et cetera, et cetera. Right? And then you get to take this logic all the way out. But um, it, you know, I, I keep coming back to the one thing I did agree with. They all said, which was like we had a deal in place that was working. Um, Trump trashed it because he's an idiot. Um, <laughs> and and here we are. Yeah. You know, here we are in this big, <laughs> stupid, unnecessary yeah. crisis. Yeah. And I feel like that's a theme with Trump, is he takes these issues and he like. You know, he creates a little crisis that yeah. he then resolves back to the status quo, you know? So it's like if I came out, where do you live? I, I came into your house, I set it on fire, and I was like, hey, I'm gonna, I, I got the hose here, I'm gonna put it out. We cool? You yeah, know what I mean? Like, I'm a hero, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so it goes, he goes around, he sets <laughs> these little fires, he puts them out, he steps them back on, um, and it, it all just increasingly feels like theater to me. Um, and yeah. I, the thing that I really fear about Trump and Iran is I believe the president does not want a war with Iran. You know, I say a lot of things about him. Um, I do think he, he understands instinctively that, it, that starting a major new war in the Middle East in an election year, not a good idea right. you know, for him politically. It's not yeah. going to work. Um, forget what it might do to the people in the Middle East. Forget Just, all this yeah, other stuff yeah, about yeah. morality and like right. what we've done to Iran and colonialism yeah. and all this stuff. Forget all that. Yeah. Just think about the election. Yeah. It's not good. And he knows that. You know, um, but I feel like he's gotten so arrogant um, that he thinks he can do any, anything to anyone without actually starting the conflagration that he wants to avoid. Um, and so he's like, oh, I can just murder a senior Iranian military official and nothing will happen. Um, and, and the fact that, you know, very little seems to have happened just reinforces the tendency inside the White House to think that they can they can just like poke and prod and, and um, 
and start these 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 little fights with people, and then nothing will ever happen with it. Yeah. You know? I, by the way, I just want to say, I, I know what you're when very little has happened of consequence to people in this country. Just the things off the top of my head that I can think that have happened to people in Iran. Uh, just yeah. at the funeral, there was a stampede, and I forget how many people were died uh and then uh the iranians shot down shot down the plane a plane and like 150 people died on that plane so people have paid a consequence i knew as soon as trump ordered the execution of that general david somebody would pay a consequence probably would not be donald trump or anybody donald trump cares about if he cares about anyone uh but somebody was going to pay a consequence no it's gonna be innocent people in the middle east and that's that's there's 40 years of american foreign policy in the middle east um, where we don't care about the consequences of our policies for for ordinary human beings, that that we you know that we can't uh, meet at a DACA somewhere and or, or negotiate an oil deal or something. You know, mm-hmm. um, there's a Middle East scholar named Assad Abu Khalil, um, and it, uh, 10, 15 years ago, wrote this essay where he said that the the two kinds of people um, in the world right? there's expensive people and there's cheap people. You know, um, and and sort of the Arabs and Iranians are cheap people to us. You know, like they can die. In whatever numbers that we want them to die in, uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't affect us, um, and we don't feel any like moral sort of compulsion to care about them. You know, um, and maybe some of that's just like human nature, um, but but it's also it points to a problem with our foreign policy, right? Um, where we're, when we talk about these crippling sanctions that we put in Iran and tightening the noose and and you know like starving them and like you know like the things that we're trying to do to the to, to the Iranian people mm-hmm. economically, everyone's just like, well, yeah, I mean. Obviously, I mean, we don't want them to have a nuke, right? So let's just kill them all. You know? um, yeah. And it and it, it's just it's a it's a really sort of like staggeringly immoral stance to say like I'm going to make forty million people suffer to achieve this geostrategic goal of mine. That's actually quite debatable, right? This is not like Nazi Germany, right? This is not a country that's about like overrun the world, right? Like this is a this is a regional power that's exerting its influence uh, largely among other sort of Shia Muslim populations in different parts of the Middle East. Its appeal is limited, you know, like uh, the, the, the ideology of the Islamic Republic does not travel anywhere where, where you don't have large numbers of Shia Muslims. And so the threat of, of Iranian expansionism is like dementedly overblown. Um, and so what you really have is just like this nuisance, right? You, you have a country that's like not cooperating with your, with your goals in the Middle East. You know, they're, they're engaging in various little proxy wars, none of which affect ordinary people in America, really. Um, and so it just all comes back to, like, can we not all just take a collective step back on Iran and be like, what are we doing yeah. here? You know, like, what is the goal of all of this? Why can't we ratchet down the tensions here? Um, why can't we step back and say, like, what is important to us and what is not important to us? And that's where I feel like... Um, I have a lot of problems with Obama's foreign policy, you know, from the, the flying robots that murder people to the Afghanistan surge to Libya. But the one place where I feel like Obama was really forward thinking in a way that we'll appreciate a long time from now, not not right now, is his, his basic instinct that was like, why do we like the Saudis more than the Iranians? There's no <laughs> I don't know. reason to it. It doesn't yeah. make any sense, yeah. right? Like, they're not worse than the Saudis. The Saudis are like... I, Saudi Saudi Arabia is like like arguably the like the worst government on earth, you know, um, and w- so why why do we just sort of emotionally align ourselves with this one country 
over its rival yeah. in ways that keep drawing us into the Middle East, right? Like all these these little Gulf uh, Arab kingdoms that I've spent time in some of these places. You know, I, I'm not like a, sort of like throwing things around in like a racist fashion. You know, like I'm a Lebanese descent. I have sympathy for some of this stuff, but like, why do we need to provide security for the Kuwaitis? Right? And that's another sort of like that is a, a genius of Donald Trump, where he's like, why should you know? Why should I pay you protection? You know, why should I protect you without any money back? Pay me. Yeah. <laughs> Donald Trump, pay me. Pay me. You know? <laughs> he wants uh, his. Yeah, pay me. I'll give you some troops. So just yeah. pay me. Yeah. You know, it's very transactional. Um, but the, but I think that the long run result of that is if you get if you get the American people thinking transactionally and like what are we getting out of every single relationship that we have, eventually people are gonna look at like Iran and Saudi Arabia and all this stuff and be like, I don't I don't even understand what's what's at stake here anymore. Yeah. Honestly. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. Well, I think it's just in like a fundamental way. What all what what the driving force uh, in is it's just symbolized by those questions coming ending where we started uh, is that somehow or other I don't know, our manhood is at stake mm -hmm. our reputation is at stake and we can't let them get the last word right right um, which is just it's just it's not a way to conduct foreign policy no. and and, uh, and my fear is that. <sighs> The one thing that Trump has continued with that he inherited from his predecessors, which doesn't make any sense, is that he has decided that a, that a nuclear weapon is a red line. And what he has done from the beginning of his presidency is he has made it much more likely that Iran will sort of try to crash into a nuclear weapon. And let right? me say this and about that, that's what's really dangerous. Donald here. Trump, he's perfectly capable of flipping. Tomorrow he could yeah. come out and it just be it's just like with North Korea. Just substitute North Korea for Iran. This was the rhetoric coming out of Trump about North Korea, uh, with the Rocket Man tweets and stuff. All, all the all all Khamenei needs to do, right? The leader, the supreme leader of Iran, it just needs to call up Trump and be like, "What a great yeah, guy!" Donald, I stayed in one of your hotels, <laughs> man. I stayed in the one in Azerbaijan. It's so beautiful. What a gorgeous facility. <laughs> do you want to talk? You know. What a what a classy man you are, um, and Trump would be like, "Wow, he loves me." Yeah, you know? like because the Iranians yeah. could be smart about this too. Like all they got to do is flatter this idiot, um, and he'll be like, "Oh, whatever you want. Yeah. You want nukes? I'll give you nukes." Yeah, it's all here. Right. They are. Yeah, here know? they are. Pay so, me, and, <laughs> and then he'll pick another country. Yeah, we uh, we should close this down. And we I had all the things on the uh, list, including we never have enough time, Ben. No, we, we never, never have do. enough time. The kids are all left. Uh, David David Ferris's next book, which we'll talk about the next time he's on. We didn't even get into impeachment, the strategy. And Nancy Pelosi, you blew it. You didn't listen to David Ferris. He didn't listen said, to me. Drag it out all year. And she, yeah. The articles of impeachment were sent over to the Senate today, and you know as well as I do. That kangaroo court. <laughs> yeah, no, it's over. I mean, nobody ever. So, nobody ever listens to me. Baby, so that's I just you. I know. I appreciate that. One. All right. Very good. David Ferris is his name. <laughs> I love when he's on the show. And I guess we'll bring you back next month. I don't know if there's another debate, but we'll bring you back anyway. Once a month. I'm in, Ben. I'm in. Uh, yeah, very good. David Ferris is his name. I'm Ben Jarofsky. And that's another bonus show. Take care, everybody.